Welcome to the Branches Podcast. Following the lead of Jesus, we seek to embrace people regardless of their background or their present ground in the hope they find holy ground. We are a church for people who don't go to church. If you'd like to learn more about the reckless love of Jesus or our community of faith, please visit our website at branchesoc.com. This was written by someone in our church family, um, not, not me, but um, they would like to remain anonymous. So I'm going to read this to you, and Boogie calls this kind of a modern, a 2017 Psalm 23. When the cost of my seemingly measly existence overtakes me, being swept away as though caught up in a sudden flood racing through the valley's dry riverbed, and yet it always surprises me how quickly everything can be pounded upside down, then right, then back again, And while my comfort longs to succumb, I somehow search for the sight of a reached out hand. If you knew the depths of my fall, would you say I deserve that muddy grave? The sound of my heartbeat echoing through what I thought was an empty shell gives clarity to push in and push through. As the undertow dumps me into a sea of turned backs, will his face be lost in this earthly flesh? For if his mercy has followed me all the days I have crawled, all the days I have walked, all the days I have run, I will surely know his face. Because drowning in a sea of distraction, I have wept in the presence of his overwhelming grace. I have rested in those green pastures. I have been led beside those still waters. And every weighted step through these shadows cannot deny the peace that I know will come. So tell me, will you stand beside me at the table my father has set? Have you written me off as quickly as the thought finds ground? Or will you pause? Will you pause and make space for the maker of all that we face? We're calling this Hijacked Sunday, by the way. So Jer hijacked and said, oh, I'm adding songs. Deal with it. So now I'm hijacking family business and the offering and everything else that goes with it. So let me go through some of the family business because this is kind of big stuff, so I wanted to be the guy that did it, so that's why I'm hijacking it. Um, The connection cards, which is why I hijacked the offering. So those, they're probably touching your butt right now. No, there's none out there, are there? All right. Just those cards, huh? All right, so if you want to connect, tough luck. Wrong Sunday. Uh, next, next Sunday, you can connect. There's, there's supposed to be little papers, so you can pray. So if you want to get involved, we can help you get connected. Um, so you can still do that, just not by the paper. You can do that with me, Jer, anyone that's up here. Um, sound people, they're kind of the ones that are really in charge. And of course, Sarah, back there in the corner, who's the queen of everything this morning. Um, I want to do this because, like Jer said, we only have two Sundays left here in the harbor, and it's kind of a... It's, it's, it's attention. It's exciting and sad at the same time. But for next Sunday, what we're going to do is, is, our final Sunday here in the harbor, we're going to do the feast. Now, to do the feast right, we need to bring food. Okay? Notice I'm staring out at you right now. All right, Kyle? I've tasted your food before, so I'm expecting something good. You're a fireman. You've had a lot of practice. Step it up. Make it big. So bring food. 
uh, come a little bit early so we can have it all out there. And then uh, when we're finished with our gathering, we're going to go and have our final meal together here at the harbor. So we're here this Sunday, we're here at the harbor next Sunday, and then October 1st is our first Sunday at Shortcliffe's Middle School. At Shortcliffe's Middle School, we're going to meet there at 9 a.m. Now, we're going back to our old time, which is 9.30, but our first Sunday there, we'd love for those that call Branches home to come early, which is 9 a.m. You getting confused yet? See why I'm doing this? Because we started, we started at 9, but then why are we coming early if we're coming at 9? Because we're going back to our old time of 9.30. But at the harbor, come at 9, we want to pray together. So we're going to gather, and then we're going to send you guys off to different places. We want to pray over the school, and especially pray over the people that are coming. Because when you change locations, things change. And people that weren't there before are going to start coming, and we want to pray for them before they get there. So if you could plan on being there then, that would be great. The other thing is, is we have two big retreats coming up, the men's retreat, the women's retreat. This is how these things really work. So we put this women's retreat thing up here. We'll put the men's retreat up there. So we had the men's retreat thing. We had it for like six weeks in a row or something crazy. It was up there all the time. And then I talked to someone. I said, hey, man, I want you to come. He goes, wait, I didn't, I didn't hear about that. When's this men's retreat? So I know none of you are really listening to me right now. So the way these work is, is like who knows? I just need, actually, I'll know someone that I know is coming on the men's retreat. I'm looking at you again, Kyle. Let's just say, oh, you haven't heard about it? So let me tell you about it, Kyle, since you're coming. So Kyle, the only way people are going to come is if you actually invite them. That's how this works, right? It's not by announcements. It's not by the website. It's by people inviting people. So for the men's retreat and the women's retreat, you need to know the dates. So men's retreat, October 5th through the 8th. And then for women's retreat, could you go to that one? That is November 3rd through the 5th. So the way this is going to work is we invite people. That's how we do things here at Branches. That's really how it works anywhere. Um, so invite people on the website is when you can officially sign up. Um, I know Melissa put her email on there. I know Melissa has so much time that she can answer all those emails. So I don't know why we did that to you. But if you want to be generous and kind to Melissa, just go to the website under events. You can just click on there for men's retreat, women's retreat. You click on it, boom, you're in. Um, and you can sign up. But more importantly, think of who you're going to invite. All right. One last thing I have here. Um, we have... Uh, a team that's scouting out the needs in Houston right now. Um, you guys heard about what's going on in Houston? Anyone? No? Okay, let me tell you. There is a, um, a ridiculous hurricane, and it's relief, and it's a mess. So I could tell you it's a mess, but instead of that, um, what we've decided to do is have Christian, who's there right now, um, share with you what's going down. So let's see how this goes. Can you make this one as loud as you can get? I have one bar. Let's see how that goes. They're having church right now at this very moment, so. See, what we do is I texted him ahead of time so he would know. Your call has been forwarded to an automated voice. We're going to see how this goes. We'll try it one more time. Maybe I have to slip him in later during the message. Because it actually goes with the message. Oh, now he's uh, in and accept. Is that you? Yeah, that's me. <laughs> All right, Christian. So everyone's sitting here with bated breath. 
wondering what's going on in Houston. Can you tell them about uh, your experience, especially with Victor, to give them a picture of what's happening in Houston? Yeah, so we rolled into this neighborhood, um, first time really pulling into a neighborhood, and every house is turned inside out, all of their, their chairs, their drywall, their desks are all mounted in their front lawns. And uh, we rolled up to Victor's house, um, where most of it had already been torn apart, and we meet Victor. He's a retired school principal, originally from Mexico. He has two sons and uh, six grandkids, and a great mustache. And great mustache. And we, um, we, we went in, and he, he, told, he told us that he, um, he needed his floor torn up because a professional team came in and started tearing up his floor, and then um, the fresh team, halfway done, said, this is too hard, uh, we're not going to do this anymore, and kind of left him high and dry. And so we had a team of about a total of 15 to 20, 20 that came in, and basically helped him out, but he's got a he's got a bad back, and his sons can't help him out too much because of their children, and um, he's he's looking anywhere from seventy thousand to a hundred thousand dollars to um, restore his home uh, back to the regular life he's living, and he he has no way to afford that. And uh, Victor is one of eight hundred homes in the area that that are like this in in the neighborhood you're in right now. In the neighborhood we were in, there was about 80, I think, that we saw. But there's another neighborhood that has like 700 homes where they have all their stuff thrown out in their lawn. And we're, we're on the western side of Houston. So this is kind of like the edge of, of Harvey. Wow. All right, dude, anything else we can do since we got everyone here? They say they want to pray, or at least I'm asking them to pray. So what should we tell them? Yeah, definitely um, be praying for hope. Um, there's a lot of hope in the community coming together and building everyone up. And people talk about how they're meeting their neighbors who they never would have met if Harvey never came through, which a lot of people um, love that they're meeting neighbors and everyone's coming together. But I know the persistent hope to know that um, in, the, in the grand scheme, God's got it. Wow. Very eloquent for a 22-year-old dude. Well played, Christian. Thanks, Thanks, bud. 23. 23? <laughs> Alright, so if there's any single ladies out there in that range, she's 23. Thanks, dude. Yeah, no problem. Later, man. Later. Alright, let me pray for us. And especially for them. Father, we lift up to you um, the team in Houston, but especially the people of Houston. They need hope. Open our eyes, Lord, um, as we try to figure out what we can do to help and the, the next team that's going to be going out in the next month. I pray, Lord, that you would put on the hearts of the people that you want to send to bring hope, the people you want to send uh, to meet the victors of Houston, to let them know they're not alone. Uh, Father, bring the people of God together to serve each other. Uh, we also lift up this offering to you this morning in the name of Jesus. Amen. If, if you have your Bibles, grow up, grab them and open up to Psalm 23. The offering will be coming by, the offering basket, but um, if you need a Bible, I think we have some of those too. 
So those will be coming around. As for Houston, um, we're going to lead another trip soon. We're just waiting to hear what the needs are because we don't want to just show up to show up. We want to make sure we're making a difference and, and make sure that's helpful and we want to be smart about it. So we'll keep you informed um, when we're heading out. All right, so we're in Psalm 23, and this is the passage that we're looking at today. Next week will be our last week in, in Psalm 23. So the passage we're looking at today is verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. So this is David looking back at his life, and he's saying that God has been there. He starts with saying, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. But in this passage, there's no sheep involved. He's made a switch. That's what they do with Middle Eastern poetry. So he takes this shift, and he moves away from sheep, and he starts to give this image of a table. And he talks about a table being prepared. They don't have utensils. So he's not like, when he says, God is preparing a table for me. He's, I look at my life, and God has prepared a table for me. He doesn't mean, hey, he put some plates out. He laid everything out. Because that, they didn't need plates. They didn't need forks. Um, they'd have a cup and then food. So to prepare a table means there's food everywhere. And so we look at that and we're like, okay, so you feed me all the time? Is that what God did for you, David? Is that what he's going to do for me? Is that what it looks like? Is that who our God is, the one that feeds us? It's so much more. There's so much more packed in here that my concern is, is that I'm going to hijack the rest of this gathering this morning and go way too long because there's so much involved. But I've already met with some guys this morning, and they warned me that they would step in and cut me off if I got too long-winded. But to give you a picture of what's happening here, I want you to imagine what's happened to all of you this week. It happens to all of us. A lot of times it happens, you don't even know it happened. But you were walking somewhere, and somebody saw you. And when they saw you, they hid from you. Now, that happened to you this week, whether you know it or not. And the reality is, some of you did that to someone else that's here. You were somewhere, you were at Trader Joe's, you were going through the aisle, you saw something, you're like, oh no. And then you tried to figure out how you could work this out, so you start looking at the milk, like you need milk, you're lactose intolerant, but it doesn't matter, as long as your back is turned to them. We've all been there, haven't we? As a pastor, um, so I was... I. I did youth ministry when I was younger, and then um, I got too old and crotchety for that, so I got booted out of that, and then I started working with adults. But I've experienced this thing where because I'm a pastor, because I'm a minister, because I, people look at me sometimes as the representative of God. They, it seems weird to me, and I don't like it. Um, and so I've had a lot of people in my life see me and tell me later, yeah, I saw you, and I just went the other way because of the stuff going on in my life, and I didn't want to have to deal with that. You weren't probably going to say anything. You've never done anything like that, but you just represent that to me. So when I uh, got out of the hospital a while ago and I was at my house, um, just a good friend of mine that I've known since he was a junior in high school came to my house, and when he saw me at the front door, first thing he said is like, oh, crap, you are so skinny. Get a hamburger, dude. Then after that, he just broke down. And he, I'm like, whoa, what's going on? So we just sat down and he said, 
you've probably known over the past few years that I've been avoiding you. And I was like, no. <laughs> uh, because I just knew that my life wasn't where I know it's supposed to be, and I had all this shame and this guilt, and so I didn't want to come near. And so if I saw you, I'd go the other way. I didn't want to be face-to-face -face with that. How many of us feel that way towards God all the time? Or how many of us assume, well, that's what I do. That's what people do to me. God must do that to me also. God must turn his back on me and face the other way. That's what we're going to look at this morning. We were talking with our kids um, about social media. And they're always like, can I, why can't I have this? Why can't I be on all the time? I don't get it. This is how I connect with my friends. And we're trying to explain to them not only what they're going to go through, but what adults go through. You look at social media, you see what people are doing, and you're like, why wasn't I there? Like, they did that without me? As if this whole group of people turned their back on you. Or I was talking with a really good friend of mine, um, a pastor that if I said his name, all of you would know who he was probably. And he was so frustrated. He's like, I don't want to be with that guy because of this and this and this and this. And I was like, what? Yeah, we got in this argument about this. And so every time he like, saw that email and it, didn't you see the email because you were on the thread and he said this. And I was like, I didn't see that. He assumed the worst because in that situation, he had acted in such a way in this argument that he assumed, well, that guy had to turn his back on me. He's turned away from me. And so he thought when the, the man returned his email that he was responding negatively to all of his points. Because that's, that's what we assume, assume right? right? Like, like if, if we cross over a certain line, people are going to reject us. They're going to go in the other direction. And if they're going to do it, why well, might as well beat them to it? Or if we cross the line, we, we turn away because of the shame. And then we assume that's what God does. Because if we're going to do that and we're creating his image, that must be the way he is. He's going to turn his back on me. He's going to curse me. That's not how God is. When we see this passage here in Psalm 23, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. This is a statement more about how God will never turn his back to us. Now, we can walk away and never see his face. But this is David saying, I can't believe. Because now David's old, right? He's gotten older. God stands with me even in the presence of my enemies. And when you see that picture of enemies, you assume, oh, you mean the other armies. No, sometimes the enemies are his family, his wife, his kids. Because he looks at his life, some of the things he's done, some of the things that have been done to him, and he says, but God never turned from me. In fact, he prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. But to fully understand this, we're going to take a detour. We're going to focus on what does it mean to bless and to curse? Because what he's saying is, is God has blessed me. He didn't curse me. To understand what that means, we're going to do a little study on those two words. And we're going to look at a different passage that ties in with this. It's from Deuteronomy 30, 19. Most of us never read any of those first five books of the Bible because they scare us. But there's such beauty there. And so here in Deuteronomy 30, 19, it talks about blessings and curses. So today I have given you the choice between life and death, 
between blessings and curses. So God is talking to the people of Israel and says, look, I'm giving you a choice, life or death, between blessings and curses. They're connected. Life is connected with blessings, and death is connected with curses. So now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice that you make. See, God's choice is already been made, but how are we going to live? Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. Okay, so let's look at these words. So life, the word carries this, this idea of movement, like, like there's movement forward. So life means to move towards God or towards other people, okay? Now, the word death, it, it carries with this idea of movement away, right? So you walk into Trader Joe's, Someone comes towards you, they're moving towards you, they're bringing life towards you. If you walk towards them and you make eye contact and they just make sure you see them make eye contact and like, and they go the other way, that's death. So there's this, this imagery of coming towards you or coming away. So, and it's the same as blessing or curses. The word blessing has all kinds of depth to it. But one of the things that blessing means, it means to kneel, to, to bow. Okay? Game of Thrones, real big right now, right? Bend the knee. Who do you bend the knee towards? You bend the knee towards kings, towards powerful people. I'm in season, the end of season five. So I guess it gets really big, six, seven, and eight. I'm not there yet. But for those of you who are that far, you know that imagery. And that was the imagery in this culture. To bend the knee, you bend the knee towards those of power, towards those of value. The other thing that blessing means, it, it's this image of adding to a scale. So when you bless, it's the same as taking a coin and putting it on a scale. You know the scales like that? Because they didn't have nickels, pennies, and dimes with people's faces on them. There were no faces on them necessarily to differentiate. It was just the weight. And so if you're to bless, it means you add to the scale. So knowing that, Bless means to the bow of the knee, or to be heavy, or weighted, or to be honored. And this Bible study is, within, is in an amazing book that I read during my study leave called The Blessing. Have I already talked about that here? Oh, you're going to get it in. You're going to get it deep into it. Because after we finish Psalm 23, we're going to do two weeks on that. Um, and so he goes through this, this, this study of what it means to bless and curse in God's word. And he says this, Townsend says this. You are of such great value to me, I choose to add to your life. That's what it means to bless. It's, it's an action or words, and sometimes you need both. You're saying with your actions or with your words, you are of such great value to me, I choose to add to your life. Curse, however, the word means to be slight of water, to be abated, or another word that it's used for, that same word curse is used for a trickle or muddy water. And you're like, huh? So I don't know if you heard that in the poem, but the person that wrote that poem knew about this. It's not me, by the way. I'm not that good. But they talked about the muddy water. And in the Middle East, water is life. And so if you have this stream and someone dams up the stream up higher, what you're left with is a trickle or muddy water. Someone is cutting off that life that's coming to you, to be slight of water or to be abated. It means someone is cutting off this flow to you. 
So in Deuteronomy, God's saying, look, I'm giving you the choice between life and death, between blessing, not only you receiving the blessing, but you giving the blessing, or curse, which means you turn away from me and you turn away from others, and then you're heading towards death. So when we look at this, David is looking at his life, and he's saying, you know, God had every right to curse me, and I expected that. But instead, he blessed. He could have dammed up the flow of life to me because of what I had done, who I have been. But instead, when I turned to him, instead of turning away, when I turned to God, he blessed me. He brought me life. I'm choosing life. As for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my family, we will choose life, not death. So now, when we go to that passage again, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, I want to give you a different picture. Picture that Jesus gave us. He was asked, what's the kingdom of God like? Which is another way to say, how do things really work? How is God towards me? Most of you heard the story of the prodigal son, right? If you haven't, I'm going to give you a brief overview. So Jesus has asked the question, what, what's, what's life like? What is God like towards us? What is it supposed to be like? And he says like this. It's like this man, and he had these two sons. And the younger said, son said, look, Dad, I wish you were just dead. Give me my whole inheritance right now, and I'm out of here. And he goes and lives like you'd expect a 23-year-old to live out. He's just blowing all the money, eating, women, parties, all of that. And he runs out of it all. And he realizes that, and he realizes who he's been and what he's done, so he tries to come home. And he knows it's not going to go well. He's entering a hive. He knows that everyone there is going to be his enemy. And as he's coming, the father sees him. Why? Because the father's looking for him. The father has every right to turn his back on the son. But instead, he shows his face. That's what it means to bless, to show your face. And so he runs towards the son. And I always looked at that picture and thought, that's so awesome that he loves him so much he's running to embrace him. But he's doing something else here. As he's running, he's also protecting his son from everybody else in the community. You know what I'm talking about, right? Have you ever seen a child just completely dishonor their parents or dishonor their neighbors? So much so that if that person ever came back, oh, it's on. I'm going to give them a piece of my mind. Or you'll just give them the dirty look, right? And you won't keep giving them the dirty look because you got to eventually let them know, look, I'm blowing you off right now. Watch this. Right? So in that community, everybody has the right to stone that younger son as he's coming back. But the father races out, embraces him in the midst of all that he has done, how he's dishonored the father, yet the father runs to him and stares him in the eye embraces him, brings him in, doesn't just bring him home, but then throws a party for him. Not just a party, but the best of the best. He's preparing a table for him. Food everywhere, drink everywhere, puts the best robe on him, gives him the family ring. And as he's trying to get these words out, I've sinned against heaven and earth and you, he says, my son was lost and now he's found. And as he's sitting there at this party, he doesn't have any friends there but his father. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. His number one enemy 
his brother. His brother's there. Like, seriously, I'm not coming to the party. That guy, your son, won't even call him his brother. Have you been there before? Have you done that before? Because that's what we do, right? That's called a curse. The older brother is cursing, not cussing, cursing his younger brother. No, you're off. You're out. You're done. I'm not even going to be in your presence. In fact, the only reason anyone is showing up to this party is to honor the father. Some of them aren't. I'm just going to come, but I'm not even looking the son in the eye. And some are like, well, if you're going to embrace him, you're going to accept him, then I guess I can. That's what it means to bless. That's what this looks like. If there was anyone that was thirsty for that, anyone that needed life to come down to him and not have it be damned up, is that boy. And so David, looking at his life, man, we've talked about him so much. If you don't know about David, that guy was a yard sale. Things all over the place. His family was a mess. His his sexual life was a mess. His financial situation, I mean, he was loaded, but he was a mess. He had enemies left and right. Some he earned, some he didn't. And as he looked at all this, he goes, but my father, the shepherd of my life, never left me, never turned from me. Do you believe that, though? You can't, can you? Okay, that's for David, but not for me. Or maybe you're holding it against somebody else. We all have those faces right now. They're in your mind, but you won't look them face to face. You're going to give them your back. God is saying, I'm giving you a choice to receive life or to receive death. And how you live, you have the choice to give life or to take it away. Um, I was telling Kyle, I was like, I, gonna, I want to share about this one guy. Should I, should I not? I don't know if I have enough time, but I can't help myself. There's a, a friend of ours here at church. We've started this thing. It's, well, it's not a thing. It's, it's what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be blessing each other. And there's a guy here that's just the most amazing dude. And yet, everybody knows it. Everybody talks behind this guy's back in a good way. But nobody says those things in front of his face. Why do we not do that? All the time, I'll hear you guys bragging about someone else. And hopefully, you've heard me say, well, did you tell them? Because we need it so much. We need that life to flow to us. And this is one of those guys, like imagine like a granddad, right? He smiles, but he's kind of got it all together. And he's like, <laughs> and so you assume that if you encourage him, if you say, look, this is who you are, man. This is the blessing you've been in my life. This is, and you just go through the list. And, and we gathered a couple other guys around him, and we all told him this. And then some of the wives wrote notes, and some other ladies wrote notes and letters and gave it to him. And we all expected this guy to go, oh, that's really nice of you guys. Like, not need it, right? Like, I got it. Yeah, it's really cool of you guys. Thanks. No. That's not how he responded. He responded like a man that lives in the desert. In fact, the letters, he said, he said, I, I can only read like one a day. This is... His son was there. I think that may be the first time that his son has seen the transparency of his humanity and seen how much it meant to him to hear from his own son, I'm proud of you. As his son looked him in the eye, face to face, and just poured into him. 
We need this. This is what we were meant to do. And I'm going to take a little bit of a side turn here, but it's really not. We live in a time that is not very unique from other times in the history of the world where we are so prejudiced and we justify it and we rationalize why we can curse other people, individuals, whether they be families, whether they be neighbors, whether they be from another country, a different color, a different ethnicity, and we justify it and rationalize it. If God chooses not to curse us, who are we to curse others? God's word is clear about this. And we, the people of God, are not the ones that are supposed to be damming up. We're supposed to be breaking down the dams. We are going to blow it. I am probably one of the most prejudiced people I know. I used to think, oh yeah, I'm not prejudiced, I'm not prejudiced. You're all prejudiced. I'm prejudiced. Prejudice comes from not knowing. That's what it is. Racism comes from not knowing the other culture. When people are different from us, we're afraid. When I was a kid, I went to an all-Latino school. It was a dual immersion school. So I went there, except it wasn't like nowadays where they have half white, half Mexican, you're together and you learn each other's language. No, it was white chocolate chip and everybody else. And I remember being on the playground and Chewy beat me up. And I was like, oh, yeah? Is that how all you Mexicans are? And I was so, I mean, I didn't say it out loud, but I felt it. And then as I was around, I was like, no, these are just people. It could have been a white guy that beat me up. It doesn't matter. It's the color. And he was probably afraid of me. What did that guy have to go through? What did his family have to go through because of white people that look like me? And then in the beauty of irony, I married a Mexican. <laughs> then I went to another school because we moved around a lot as a kid. And I went to another school. I'm not joking. There were two white people. Me and the girl I asked out. And everyone else was black. I remember getting on the bus and we're driving to school and it was Motown all the time. So my favorite music now, Motown, because on that bus, I couldn't talk to anyone because I was so afraid. And when I was afraid, then I started putting them in their little boxes. My best friend growing up though after that, Daryl, on my baseball team, the same guy, same black man, he was a boy at the time, he's a man now, the same kid that when I was at the Padre game, and we all, if you don't know this by now, I'm a huge Dodger fan. I'm the only Dodger fan it seemed like there. I'm a kid, and people started yelling at me and cussing at me because I was wearing my Dodger stuff. So I have all these enemies around me, and who stood up for me? Who stood next to me? Daryl. He blessed me. He stood next to me when no one else would. We all have our prejudices, but we can never rationalize it or justify it. Because we were designed in the image of our God who chose to bless and not curse, who breaks down the dams and opens up the life to each other, to speak blessing in. The word blessing, we talked about being bowing. Think about that. What if we treat everyone like we're supposed to? You won't. We're going to blow it. But if we know, no, that's not the way I'm supposed to be. Even with your teenage children, because I'm struggling with that right now. I'm trying to figure out this whole parent of a teenager thing. I am to honor my children. I'm to bless them, to bow my knee to them and show value to them and lift them up and add to them. 
for me to show them in their lives, you are so valuable that I want to add to your life. I will never turn my back on you. And when I do, because I'm human, I'm going to turn back around, I'm going to ask for your forgiveness and ask you to forgive me. That's who we are. That's who we are as the people of God, creating the image of our God. I'm going to hit you with some scriptures, kind of like a two-three combination, knock you out with God's grace. So now, those who are in Christ Jesus are not judged guilty. I dare you to find any place in the New Testament where God curses someone, where he turns his back. Oh, there's plenty of examples of people turning their back on him. But as it says in Romans 8.1 and some of your other translations, there is therefore now no condemnation, no cursing for those who are in Christ Jesus. But Christ has rescued us from the curse. Pronounced by God? No, by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. When he was up on the cross, because of the sin that was placed on him, that came from us, he responded and he repeated the psalm, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Which is, why did you turn your back on me? Because God and sin can't be in the same place. So what did Jesus do? He came and took our place. The only reason that you'll have death is because you choose it. Because you don't choose to turn and face God with all of your shame and all of your guilt or all of your arrogance or whatever it is. If we turn to him, we're going to see God staring right back at us with a smile, with joy, like a father racing to embrace, to prepare a table before us in the presence of all those that don't know that grace and mercy. And so transform us that we will become reflections of him to others. That's what we do. That's who we are. We are grace givers. We bring light. We bring blessing. We rip up the dams. That picture that Christian gave, I almost had him do it at the end, because Christian is overwhelmed. He's like just showing up at these people's houses, and he's ripping up their stuff, and they're looking at him into his face as he's looking at their face, and they're like, I can't believe you're here. If you've ever been in that situation, if you went to Katrina, if you went to one of the earthquake places, like I've had the chance to do, when you go there, they look at you like, how could you, how could you be here for me? Who am I? And what we're saying by our actions and sometimes as our words is, you are so valuable that I want you to know that. And so I'm here to let you know that God loves you and he wants to bless you. I don't think Christian used any of those words, but he showed it in his life. I want to pray for us because this kind of grace that Christ has for us, I can't describe this. God has to reveal it to you. The beauty for me in seeing this passage from Psalm 23 is in the past year or two, I've seen this more clear than I've ever seen in my life, that God unconditionally loves me, and all I have to do is turn to him. And the more that I'm absorbed into that love, I'm freed up to love my children and my wife and others. But when I get caught up in my nature and forget who I really am, that's when I have to stop and turn and come home. And say, I'm sorry. 
do this. I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to let the worship team hijack the rest of the time. If you guys could stand with me, if you're able. If you feel like you just need to stay seated or laying down or whatever, go ahead. And I'm going to pray for us. Father, we surrender to you. You are so good to us. You prepare a table before us in the presence of our enemies. And sometimes the biggest enemy is ourself. We hate ourselves so much. Lord, free us from that. Set us free. You said that you sent your son so that we could have life and have it to the full. And Jesus said, I've come to set the captives free. Set us free, Lord. Show us what real freedom looks like. Show us how to bring life, how to break down the dam. Not only in our life, but especially for the lives of those around us, for all of our thirsty friends and our thirsty enemies. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I've just been thinking about what Boogie was teaching. And I'm going to ask you, it's funny that Jared's done this a lot today. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. Don't look at me. This is not about me. Just close your eyes. I want you to think to a moment in your life that was a moment of crisis. You got a piece of bad news that brought you to your knees. You were at the deathbed of someone as they crossed over. Whatever that might be, I want you to think about what was going through your mind and where you were at in that moment of crisis, that moment of shock. And I want you to think about what was important in that moment and everything else that was not important at all. And now I want you to think about conflict with someone that you have in your life right now. Or maybe there's a few people and you're going through something in that relationship. Maybe they've let you down. They've disappointed you. You've let them down. And you can't see how you're going to get to the other side of that. Maybe it's a broken relationship. Maybe it's somebody you've you've completely cut off or they've cut you off, it feels like. When we're in the moment of realizing what really matters, that moment of crisis that helps us to understand that in the end, there are so few things that are really going to matter. But how do we live everyday life and love the people in our lives that maybe have let us down or disappointed or we've let them down or they've disappointed us? I was thinking today when we were driving here, we have to live like rubber bands. And you can open your eyes. We have to live like rubber bands. We have to get to the place that Jesus is already at with us where it can stretch. It can ebb and flow. But that there's always that connection so that when the Lord can use us in their lives or when the Lord can use them in our lives, that we're still connected Jesus is a person that can expand and contract and expand and contract. And that's how come we are never outside of his love. We may walk, we may move, but he doesn't. 
And he never lets us out of that circle of love. The expansion and the contraction. And if we're going to be Jesus in the world, I love how what I was taught a few years ago, that when everybody else walks out, Jesus is the one who walks in. But we have to be able to live in that expansion and contraction with other people so that we can be the person that can walk in when everybody else walks out. Because that's what Jesus would do, and that's what he does for us. I'm praying for us this week that we can remember his grace and his mercy in our own lives because when we remember how much we've relied on his mercy, it makes it so much easier to be merciful to somebody else, even if it's a time of expansion where you're not as close, you're not as tight, but somehow you're able to just keep a connection so that there will come a moment when you can come closer again. Let me pray and we'll close. Lord, thank you for this time here today, this just amazing time as we wrap up our branches stay at the harbor. Thank you for your love. Help us to be as loving as you are to others. Help us to live in your mercy and your grace so that we can give it to other people. Lord, we pray that you would go before us this week, that you would hem us in before and behind all the things that are to come, Lord. Thank you that you're right there. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.